From St. Luke's Gospel, John the Baptist went around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is it just me? Do you guys love that hymn? I love that hymn. Thank you, Father Gooder, for being on point there. Uh, before I launch into the sermon today, let me ask you a question. Anybody here have someone in their lives that likes to point out your faults? One of those? I do. <laughs> Lee Rogers. Um, just kidding. Couldn't hear that, could you? Anyway, uh, I, have a, I have a story to give you. Back when my daughter Amy was born, 22 years ago, it's hard to believe, I was uh, a layman working, or actually worshiping, rather, at Church of the Good Shepherd in Rosemont, Pennsylvania. It was a great parish, not really unlike this one, high church, but lots of younger people and families in it. And it was the first place, frankly, in my whole young adult life, it was the first church in which I'd ever heard the gospel in an Episcopal church, no, ma no matter. The rector there was a priest by the name of Father David Moyer. He wasn't, he wasn't a dynamic preacher, or I wouldn't say he was a great preacher, but one thing he was, which I really valued in him, frankly, was that he was clear. He was a clear preacher, a straight shooter, man. He just called it out. And he was really effective at letting me see the gospel for the first time. I appreciated his forthrightness. I appreciated his directness until one day. Father Moyer said to me, you know, for a young man, I was 30 years old, you know, for a young man, you could probably lose about 30 pounds. And I said, uh, I said, look, I, I was about 30 pounds heavier than I am now. I've since lost the weight, but that wasn't the point. I, I will tell you, it was, it was, I said to him, Father, I said, first of all, I was a little offended, which is the point of my sermon, but I was offended. But then also I started to defend myself. I said, look, my wife just had a baby. This is sympathy weight, man. What kind of husband doesn't tip, tack on a few just to make the old lady feel good? He wasn't buying it. An extra piece of pie here was all for her, honey. No. And, and so while we didn't say this 30 years ago, we would say it now, you offended me, Father. Well he, well, he did offend me, frankly, but I will say this. It was good counsel. It was really good counsel because he was right. And it forced me to make a change in my life. And so what I want to submit to you this morning is simply this, that sometimes being offended is a really good thing. Because it leads, well, really, it's only a good thing when it does one thing further, which is leads us to change, right? Offending someone for the sake of it is just cruel and heartless and not very Christian. But when someone is offended by something we say, if it's true, it can lead us to change. It can lead us to repentance. And so this morning, we're going to look at the great offender of the New Testament, St. John the Baptist, and his, his welcoming call, you brood of vipers, and his call to repent. So two points this morning in our season of Advent. And by the way, if you don't know this, Advent is not about the birth of Jesus. It's about his second coming. I'll get to that in a moment. But so John the Baptist is preparing us for Christ's return with two points. John's call to repentance, and then secondly, his call to refocus. John's call to repentance and his call to refocus. So the first thing we talk about this morning as we get ready for Christ's second coming is John's call 
to repentance. You know, if you look at the great preachers of history, if you look at the great preachers of Scripture, they always tell you exactly what you want to hear. Yes, that's right. They pat you on the head and tell you everything's going to be great, and they tell stupid stories about bunnies and lollipops. That's not true, man. The great preachers of Scripture and the great preachers of history are those who actually challenge people upon whom the charge has been laid for them to teach. I mean, the most important, the best preachers, the most important teachers in Scripture are the ones that tell us the truth. And as the saying goes, sometimes that truth hurts. John wanders around. Look at it. Think about this for a sec, right? John wanders around the wilderness, out around the Jordan River outside of Jerusalem. The wilderness is dangerous. Bad things happen in the wilderness in the Jewish mind. And so John says to these people as they come out to him, he says, you can all have your best life now. He doesn't say that. That's what Joel Osteen would say. What John the Baptist says is, you brood of vipers. This is loaded language. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Woo! Can I get an amen? The irony, though, you'd think, I mean, nobody takes time out of their day to go to get offended, right? No one does that, unless you're some kind of sadist, right? Nobody goes out to hear John the Baptist preach just so they can feel bad and get kicked in the pants a few times. No, but here's the irony. If you look at the scripture, Matthew and Luke both say that John's preaching is wildly popular. The people flock to him. Matthew says, all Judea, all Jerusalem, excuse me, it's hyperbole, but his point stands. All Jerusalem comes out to the wilderness, which is dangerous. Bad things happen in the wilderness. They risk their lives to go and be offended by John the Baptist. Why on earth would anybody do that? Why? Why would anybody not only waste their time, but their lives and put their lives in danger to hear someone say, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why would anybody go out to hear him? I'll tell you why. There's only one reason. Because they knew he was right. They knew, and so do you, and so do I, God knows, that John's right. He's on to something here. You know, one of the things we, hear, we talk a lot about in Christianity is this idea of sin, that we are sinners. And immediately, if you're like me, you retract a little bit when you hear that. We don't want to hear that we are sinners. But let me just explain a few things here. First of all, that word sin is a load. There's a lot of baggage to that word sin. It's a Greek word, and the Greek word sin is hamartia. And do you know what it means? It means to shoot an arrow and miss. It means to try to hit, it means to miss the target. When you, when son says, you are a sinner, all John is saying, all anybody is saying, all scripture is saying is, you know what? You don't always hit the target. You miss the mark. And what John is saying is that, in fact, you do miss the mark. Brood of vipers is a reference to, to the fall in Genesis. But what John is saying, and I want to challenge you, is to say, you, in fact, will miss the mark. And in fact, not only will you miss the mark, it's inevitable because you were, to quote Lady Gaga, you were born that way. Scripture says you and I, stay with me, stay with me. You and I were born sinners. We were born, you might say, with a tendency towards brokenness. We are born with a tendency towards 
making mistakes. We all do it. We all do it. We all fall short. We all know this about ourselves. And John is calling us out. And before you roll your eyes and think to yourself, oh, come on, here goes Father Chris off on a tear about sin. Well, we were, in fact, born this way, and I'll prove it. You ready? Anybody here ever been around a newborn baby? Anybody? Okay, it's not just me here today, Father. Good. Uh, and you ever been around a newborn baby? You know, sure, we like to believe that babies are pure as the crestfallen snow. We like to believe that, that image on ivory soap, the old dish, you know, laundry detergent, little baby in a cloud and smiling, giggles and all that stuff. Yeah, we want to believe that's true, but it ain't true. I love babies, don't get me wrong. I love my own babies when they were babies. Uh, but babies, you know, are the most narcissistic, self-centered, controlling people you'll ever meet, right? They are the most self-centered, self-focused, controlling people you will ever meet. Could you imagine a 40-year-old person who, when he, who cried when he couldn't get fed? I mean, think about it. When a baby is hungry, <laughs> does it wait patiently until mom and dad aren't busy? Oh, mom and dad, it looks like they had a long day today. I'll just wait here quietly until they're ready. No, man. When a baby's hungry, man, Boom! At it comes. They cry. They scream. They throw a fit. Feed me now. Kind of like on that flight from Denver to Orlando last Saturday with that woman two seats ahead of me. Her baby cried for four hours. Thank, thank God for uh, AirPods that have noise canceling in them. Anyway, here's what I want you to see, right? You think, oh, Father, we're born sinners? Yes, in fact, we are. We are not born pure innocence, that life just kicks in the pants and makes us bitter and angry. That does happen, but we're not born a tabula rasa, a clean slate. Thomas Paine, shame on you. You're wrong. We are born sinners. We are born fallen. We are born narcissistic, self-centered, self-focused from conception. To quote Martin Luther, Martin Luther is a good, this dude knew sin, right? He knew how to explain it. He says, our hearts are, has the Greek here, uh, the Latin rather, excuse me, in curvatus in sea, our hearts are curved inward. So let me ask you a question. Where do you miss the mark in your life? Where do you shoot and miss the target? We all do it. That's why John's calling us out, right? Your marriage, your family, coming to church even when you don't really feel like going. Be honest, because God knows it. You're not hiding anything from him. Here's one. Ready? Loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Anybody? That's part of the gig. We don't all do it. See, the thing I want you to see here about John's message, which is so compelling, they flocked to hear this. And the reason they did is because the people around the Jordan River in Jerusalem, they missed the mark too, and they knew it. And that is why John the Baptist's message to them, repent, rings true for them just like it rings true for you and for me, God knows. John calls us out. Here's the question. You've missed the mark. Where is it? Point one, the call to repentance. Friends, listen, let me just challenge you on something which someone said to me once. You will never change until you admit you need to change. You will never change until you admit you are a sinner. 
You're not, there's an old expression, and if I confuse you, forgive me, an old expression. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. We were born that way, man. You can't not do it. And if until you come clean and admit it, you'll blame others. You'll cover it up. You'll get angry and defensive. You'll feel like trash because you know you're wrong, but you can't get rid of the guilt that nags you. So come clean, John says, man. Own it. Somebody once said to me, I was, gosh, probably 24, 25 years old. Someone said to me, you know, admitting that you are a sinner, that you're broken, that you're fallen and you can't get up, admitting that you are a sinner is the most, listen, most liberating, freeing thing you'll ever do. Amen? Admitting that you're a sinner is liberating, it's freeing, because only then, you see, can you find the solution. I mean, imagine if you went to a doctor, right, and they took your EKG for your, that's your heart, right, EKG? They took your EKG, and, they, and he's looking at the script, you're like, whoa, man, it's not looking good. How's it going, doc? Oh, you look great, man, don't worry about it. Is that loving? No. The diagnosis is part of how you find the cure. Here's what I want you to see. John's call to us to repent is when, when you do it, you can then find the solution. So here's the question, I'll move on. Where is John calling you to repent? There's probably lots of places. There is for me anyway, but just pick one. We're here to talk about Advent, the return of Jesus. Where do you need to change? Where do you need to be ready to be frosty? That's my first point, the need to repent. And then the second point I want you to see, John says, is doesn't just leave it there, you know? Kicking somebody in the pants, repent, without showing them the way forward is cruel. So that's what John does. He says, you need to repent, change. Repent just means change direction. Metanoia is the Greek word. Then he says, you need to refocus on what matters. Look at this. John says, repent, you brood of vipers. In the very next verse, eight, verse 8, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit is a metaphor for uh, things that happen as a result of your, your core. So he's saying, bear fruit worthy of repentance. He says, you know, live like it, live like it. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now, let me unpack that just for a second. Um, not surprisingly, John the Baptist is outside Jerusalem preaching to Jews, right? There's not many uh, Ukrainians in first century Jerusalem. He's preaching to Jews, and the Jews all knew that Abraham was the progenitor of their covenant with God. And the Jewish culture, and this happens to every culture, they had hedged their bets. Rather than leaning on the Lord, they were leaning on Abraham. We've got Abraham as our father. Don't you tell me what to do. Well, wait a minute. Look closely at what they are doing, because you do it too. So do I. They're putting some, someone, in this case Abraham, in God's place. And John's point is that, look, God doesn't need Abraham. God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. What you need to do, John is saying, is not only repent, but then stay focused. Put, all of us put something in place of God. We all do it. We all have little idols that we put there, things that we put between us and God that we say we believe in God, and we kind of rely on him, but we really rely on X, Y, Z. We put things in front of God all the time, careers and marriages and wealth and relationships and money and electric guitars. But the point is, John is saying is, look, stay focused, repent, yes, but then redirect to the main thing. 
See, John's, this is what I want you to hear, John's call to repentance is not just putting away the old man, putting away the old stuff, but also putting the right stuff in its place. It's not just getting rid of the old stuff. It's putting the new stuff, and that new stuff is Jesus, in its place. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this very thing. It's, it's cool. I never thought about it until this past week. He says in Matthew chapter 12, I think it's verse 43, right around there. Anyway, Jesus says, when a demon is cast out of a person, they repent, right? The demon wanders until it comes back to that person and finds, this is Jesus' quote, the house, the person, empty, swept, and put in order. And then the demon goes and brings seven other others with him, and here's the money line. Jesus says, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Matthew 12, 45. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you can't just clean up the mess in your life. You've got to replace that mess with Jesus. You can't just clean up the mess. That's step one. Step two, John's point is, don't lean on Abraham. Don't lean on this. You've got to lean on the Lord. You've got to put him in that space. Put him in that hole that's been left empty. We've all done this. Anybody here know someone who wrestles with drugs or alcohol or pornography or any kind of addiction at all? Yeah, you can clean up your house. You can get your minds right and your heart right. But it remains empty. And then what happens? People fall off the wagon. They relapse. They fall. We all fall back into old behaviors. It's almost inevitable. The last state of that person is worse than the first, just like it's happened to you and to me. But to the beauty of John's message, this is wonderfully pastoral, is get ready. Repent, but also put Jesus in the place where that old thing was. Because the Advent, friends, this season of Advent, this awesome season of preparation, we are not getting ready for Jesus' birth. That already happened. I'll be 53 in two weeks. I'm not waiting to be born. Anybody here waiting for me to be born in two weeks? No. Jesus has already been born. What we are waiting for is not his first coming, but his second coming. The word Adventist means to expect, to wait for, to yearn for Christ's return. We don't know when he'll be back. Jesus himself didn't know when he'll be back. Ask Dad. He knows, Jesus said. Ask the Father. But he says he will return to judge the living and the dead. And, and we don't know when that will be, but I can, listen, I can tell you this with 100% certainty. Father Gritter mentioned this last week. That Jesus will return for you in your lifetime. Guarantee that Jesus will return for you in your lifetime. So be ready. Be ready, John says. Be ready. Not in fear, not in hedging your bets, but in hope and expectation and yearning for Christ to return, to put all things to right. Let me give you an example. I'm going to wrap up. You know we have a preschool here now, right? Little kids get Jesus so easily, you know? Sometimes. They're sinners, but they still get Jesus pretty easily sometimes. Here's a great story. Father Josh was leading chapel on Thursday with, all, with I think, the four-year-olds, right? Wasn't it? Four-year-old class. And he was teaching them about Jesus in the chapel. And they're like, you know, learning about Jesus. And he said to them that Jesus was coming back. And they're like, what? He said, yep, not only has Jesus been here and died for your sins and restored you to the Father, but he's coming back. He's going to rescue you. He's coming back to get you all. 
to be, so you can be with him forever. And he said to me, Father, you're not going to believe this. I told these kids that Jesus was coming back, and they started jumping up and down, spinning in circles, yelling, carrying on. He said, he said they actually had to do deep breathing exercises to calm these kids down. Could you imagine what this place would be like if, you, if I just say to y'all, now calm down, Jesus is coming back, let's all settle down. Deep breath, everyone, deep breath. He literally had to settle these children down so they could continue chapel. It's ironic. They were so excited. And I want to challenge you this morning to think about it like them, to have this, like, I don't want to mean naive joy, but childlike joy. That the end is decided, man, that Jesus is coming back to get us. So be ready. Be earn, yearning for it. Be ready for him. And to wait with expectation, with joy. Hop around and spin if you want to. I don't care. But be ready for his to return when he will set the world to rights. So John says, be ready for that. Repent, but also put Jesus in that spot as we wait for his return. So here's the question to you today. Are you ready? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the straight shooters that you put in our lives. John the Baptist, Father Moyer, We thank you, Lord, for those who have called us out, not out of condemnation, but out of love, to help us see our blind spots, to help us to refocus on those, to repent of them, and to put you in their place. Lord, we thank you for your return. We pray for your return. We look for joy on your return. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Save us and help us, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.